Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e-commerce business to the next level. Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Experts Perspective. Joining us today, we got ourselves a real expert, someone who's been in the space for more than 20 years, has an MBA, has worked at companies like Shoes.com, and is currently heading up e-commerce at JD Sports Canada. Welcome, PJ. Thanks. Great to be here. We always like to start off by learning a bit about how you got into e-commerce in the first place and a bit about your career trajectory so far. So maybe as we look to open up, do you want to maybe talk to us a bit about how you got in your role today? Growing up, I was really into music. I was really into skateboarding and a lot of the things that came along with those interests. The first time I went to university, I lasted a year. I dropped out because I wanted to produce music. At that time, I'm talking like 94, digital was really making it easy to have a cool bedroom studio. And that seemed way more interesting to me than studying political science. And I did that and I worked with a friend. He and I were in a bunch of bands together growing up and we built a studio and it was super cool. Fast forward about five years, it turns out that I was more interested in the lifestyle of a musician than actually maybe had the talent to be a professional musician. What I did really like and what I found myself to be really good at was the tech side of things, getting involved in digital recording and then the world of MIDI and sampling and editing and creating the music and then realizing that I could use the internet to promote the music. So using like email marketing to get out to labels and building our own website and teaching myself rudimentary HTML and JavaScript and all of those things. And I was just like, here's something that I like, I can use to achieve a goal and I think I'm pretty good at. And you know, my friend Sean, that we were doing music together, he was somebody that's just passionate about the music and he was happy just to keep going in that direction. And I was just thinking, well, I think tech is probably the spot for me to be. And it just kind of rolled from there. Then just different directions that life takes you. That started to feel a little bit hollow to me, just being on the tech side, always being the guy at the last part of the equation when it's just like, hey, now we need this website. We're going to call you. It's never about the strategy. It's never about the thing that you're doing. I just wanted more of that. And then that's when, broadly speaking, other cultural passions of mine came more central to my life. And that's fashion and design and these sorts of things. And here again, I'm a fan the way I love music. I'm a fan of fashion, but I couldn't draw something if my life depended on it. I just, I'm really into it. And I thought, okay, here's a way I can support that interest with my tech skills, but then working with people that are selling things online, selling fashion online. So that's kind of the blend. It's knowing what you're interested in, but recognizing that you may not be the guy or girl at the center of the equation creating the thing, but you can be working to support. Yeah, that's what brought me here. I think that's some really good career advice as well, is if you're going to draw a Venn diagram of your passions and your skills and then the market opportunity and kind of find something that matches in the middle where obviously you can create value, but you also seek enjoyment from it. So that's a really good opening advice. Building on that, you mentioned a lot of your passion and how you ignited that. Having witnessed a lot of the digital transformation since you kind of started off, what do you think some of the biggest profounding shifts in how commerce is done online since you've kind of joined the industry? What are kind of some of the things that stick out to you as big things that have changed? I think, first of all, it's just the willingness of people to buy online. And not too long ago, I was sitting at my father-in-law's place 
And I looked around his living room and it's like, he's got an iPad, he's got a MacBook, he's got an iPhone and it's all bought online. And, you know, he's a guy that's in his 80s. And I'm thinking, this is why eCarb is winning. This is why Apple's winning. But it's not from people like us that are buying, it's everybody. And so that is a really profound change. I'll go on a little tangent. One of the projects I did in the early days of my e-com stuff was helping a pharmacy here in Canada sell prescription drugs to customers in the States because prescription drugs are cheaper in Canada. And so that was a super cool business, but you're targeting a market that's on the older side and you're trying to convince them to buy something online. That was always an uphill battle. And that was, you know, that was early 2000s. Go ahead 15, 20 years. And it's just like, it's second nature to everybody. So I think it's just this social movement to make people comfortable. It's largely thanks to Amazon where people are so comfortable. I think that's huge, just the societal shift. And people talk about COVID having really poured gas on that fire. And then the other thing is mobile, just that it's so incredibly easy to buy stuff online now. There are no barriers, there's no blocks. It's just like, boom, you have the attention, you get it. It's astounding how easy that can be done. So I think it's mobile and just general societal shift. I think it was building up, kind of leading into COVID as well. But I think COVID forced people, to your point, to make maybe their first transactions and bring in demographics. And maybe they'd made purchases before online, but they hadn't ventured into the shoe category or the clothing. Oh, what if it doesn't fit me? And and I think as soon as you break that seal and it works. Or wine. Like my mom is buying wine now online. And it's like, she lives five minutes from a number of great liquor stores, but it's like, why? I can just boom, boom, boom. And now it's there. And it's amazing. I'm aligned. And one thing that I know that you're passionate about that we haven't touched on yet is, which is a really, really hard thing to achieve at scale is personalization. So I think that is likely part of, I remember one of the first things I bought online was through a targeted ad that I was like, hmm. I didn't think about it at the time, but I thought about it recently is I wonder how they knew that that was kind of in the market for that. So I think personalization and targeted ads could be something that could push people into the final stage of the funnel. So maybe talk to us a bit about the importance of personalization and kind of some of the anecdotes that you look at or think of when it comes to that. I'm glad you brought up personalization in terms of marketing. The personalization category, you know, we've talked about it now probably for 10 years. It's been a popular thing in being sold to people in our position. I think that's the email side of things and the marketing, whether it's meta retargeting or, or email, I think that's probably the, where I've had the most success and what I think you can, is most manageable because it can all be automated. So you go to your favorite e-commerce site and then, oh, now your feed is full of whatever they're selling. We do really well with those retargeting ads. And uh, similarly with email, there are lots of great integrations now where you can retarget people. There's a little block at the bottom of your email still interested in these because you like this, you might like that. They work really, really well. Those blocks, we work with Dynamic Yields at JD. They serve all of our product recommendation blocks. Those are fantastic. So can't take away from that. Where personalization is still a dream that's yet to be realized in my mind is we talk about regions. So we're in Vancouver. We do a lot of our business in Ontario because that's where the majority of Canada is. The weather in Ontario and BC will be very different on any given day. But the scenario we often talk about is while it's raining in BC and it's snowing in Ontario. So as a customer or as a business, we want to show customers an Arcteryx jacket, a shell in BC, because it's just to protect them from the rain, but then maybe an insulated North Face jacket in Ontario. 
so he'll be protected from the cold and the snow and so on. Fantastic idea. I have no doubt that we would make more money doing that. The problem is it's just now you're doubling the effort or you're tripling it. We do a great business in Quebec. We just translated JD into French. We translated um, livestock into French, which is great. But that's increased our efforts for product copy now so that we've got to support that. Now you're layering on, oh, you need marketing assets. All these things, it's just this ripple effect. So we need somebody to come up with an AI tool, but it's, it's tricky right now. Although I've got no doubt that it'll be a moneymaker. It's interesting because as you have the modern consumer expecting almost a personalized experience, one thing that comes up is you'd mentioned it, you have different phones, right? You have like some people use Android, some people use iPhone, some people use Safari, some people use Chrome, some people use Edge. There's all these different permutations, combinations, depending where they are in the country, different personalization. How do you look at ensuring like a consistent experience, but also a smooth experience? It's hard to test for all these different browser device combinations. Like how do you guys kind of look at that where it's not only user experience, but it's ensuring that things are working kind of as expected? The simple answer is we work with a killer QA team. We've outsourced all that. They are very structured and very regimented in their approach to checking. And every week they'll give us a report. Here's what needs to be addressed. We've also invested heavily in user testing. So give people tasks, have them run through the tasks, and then note the device that they're on and all the different issues that come up. Some of them might not be straight up bugs but it might just be oddities depending on the screen size and so on. So it is the least sexy thing that I do, but it's probably one of the most profitable because you don't have to worry about investing the new and the latest and greatest. It's just like, look, take what you've got and make sure it's consistent for everybody and works for everybody. So agency, money well spent, and things like that, QA work like that can be outsourced overseas where you know, you're going to save some money and you'll get results like, you get the time zones working in your favor. So that, and then just user testing those user, like user, I think it's usertesting.com. Like it's amazing to see people interacting with your site, even if it's five people. So it's not statistically significant. It's just good anecdotal data. Like it's super cool. So I would highly recommend that. As someone who's been in e-com for a while, when you look over the next five to 10 years, what are kind of some of your big predictions? I mean, everyone's always talking about AI now, but maybe kind of building on that or on different topics, like what do you anticipate kind of being something big over the next five, 10 years? I think I'll still take the layup and say AI, but I'll add to it and say like, how is that going to impact search? So with search, we're conditioned to seeing a bunch of options. And with AI, I think we're going to be conditioned to being given the best advice. And so all of that, the tyranny of small choices are just that we tend to get overwhelmed by options. That book, Persuasion, I'm blanking on the guy, the author's name, but you know, they talk about you give people 10 different types of jam or you give them three, they'll convert higher on the three. And I think that's where AI is going to take it. So it's not about searching for running shoes for my first 5K. It's about what is the best running shoe for a 48-year-old man that weighs 170 pounds and blah, blah, blah. Boom, here's your choice. That's huge. That changes a lot. SEO gets different, maybe more or less relevant certainly changes Google's model. I don't know what the result of that will be. So it's going to be interesting times. I agree. I think search is going to get disrupted. I even found myself going to chat GPT for restaurants recommendations now, to be honest, which is like a complete replacement of Google. So I can't imagine if you're looking for something that's even more tailored from like a shopping experience. 
makes a lot of sense. So are we going to subscribe to that the same way that we subscribe to cable and Netflix and, and everything? Like, is it just like, here's my truth source? You know, like open AI has got to make money. These people all have to make tons of money. So advertising is the way that Google solved that. How are these guys going to solve it? Because as soon as you introduce the like the human element or the business element, it's like, well, no, it's bias. It's like whoever's paying. We're so lucky to be alive in this time. I think we're so lucky to have seen what it was like before and now what it's going to be like. I think it's super exciting time because I think it's very rare. And we've only seen this with like the internet and then with mobile where it's platform first and now with AI, it's usually like problem and then technology and very rarely is it big technology quantum leap and then you're finding all the use cases where this is kind of AI is one of those situations where it's effectively a quantum leap in actual technology and now everyone's kind of scrambling to find the use cases, which is usually the opposite way. But um, on a different note, what's the challenge you're facing in your role right now? I mean, it's macro is depends. I mean, you know, we're both in Canada, so inflation's a bit high right now, rates are high, macro's a bit tipsy-turvy, who knows? But yeah, what's one of the challenges you're facing in your role? Attribution is something that's a constant challenge. And I know there's really good tech out there that looks to solve that because maybe I'm showing my age, but I still always look at last click attribution because I just want to be conservative and right or wrong. That's like, here's the number. If all else fails, I know that Google delivered this ROAS on a last click basis. Okay. But the smarter way to do it is to look at all the little events that happened along the way. But then how do you build that model and then hang your hat on that model? I think you get caught up in the whirlwind of the day-to-day and those things always, it's like, ah, we'll do it later. We'll do it later. But everybody wishes you could have that, like the corporate retreat. You go to a a log cabin or whatever, and you do, you leave all your devices and you just have a whiteboard and you figure this stuff out. Like, what is the attribution model that works for our business right now? That to me is like saying grail is a bit of a cliche, but it's a biggie. I think that's a problem every marketer faces, right? Because I think if you go too loose, then you lose credibility. If you go too tight, then it looks like you're not performing. So I think it's hard to find that balance to your point. But no, that makes a lot of sense. As Black Friday is kind of approaching, it's a big, big time of the year for us in North America. What are the things you're doing to ensure that that you're kind of ready to go come the big day or the big weekend now? Yeah, big months. You know, we're talking at the end of October and we're seeing markdowns now. Which goes back to your earlier question just about the macro factors. So this season will be particularly interesting. Preparation-wise, we've got a big team and it's amazing how assumptions get made and they don't always get carried on and everybody's in Slack too much and not in person enough. And I think communication, planning early, getting people in the same room. Are we calling this a mid-season sale? Are we calling this early access to Black Friday. Like, how are we all getting on the same page? It's just like, it's not a very exciting answer. It's just early communicate in person. That's it. What's our offer? What are the products? Do we have all the assets? Let's not get flustered. And my boss, Gary, the CEO, talks a lot about losing composure. And it's like the famous Mike Tyson quote, everybody's got a plan until I punch them in the face. And you've got to prepare so that when you do get punched in the face, it's like, okay, cool. Here it is we're good. Boom, boom, boom. We're still on track. We're still going to sell. It's almost one of those situations too, where all the real work is done in practice. And then you kind of show up and like half your bed's made for you 
and you're just kind of there to make sure that it stays on the rails. So last question I got for you here, which is one that I always like to ask folks that come on is, what do you think one thing e-com brands are consistently doing that they should probably stop doing? I'll say something. I'm, I'm guilty of it too, but I wish we could stop with the 10% off code for signing up for the newsletter. If we could, as an industry, agree to just stop, I think that would be fantastic. Out of curiosity, does it convert? Yeah, it converts. It converts, but it your business. Like, it's just not worth it. To me, it's like, hold your head higher a little bit. And I'm guilty of this. I, I know I'm guilty of this because you've got an asset. You want to build your asset, which is your newsletter database or your subscriber database. So like, where's the balance? I get the customer lifetime value argument and that's how I rationalize it myself. But it's tough, man, when you're, you want to lean into the value of your brand. You want to lean into the strength of your product offering. So that's it. I don't think you're alone, PJ. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. Obviously, a lot of wise words, a lot of great experience. And I mean, JD Sports as a brand is incredible multinational brand. So appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, best of luck during the Black Friday season. And thank you again for your time. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's been great chatting. The e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives is brought to you by Noibu. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U.com. And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening.